As they're all uh, leaving, I heard something this morning uh, from someone. I can't remember where it was from now, but they. Uh, so you'll get this because we're in Alabama. I don't know if anybody else would, but RTR, right? You know, uh, but somebody said, you know, they text someone and they they told me said, you know, the 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 uh, the stone is rolled away, and the guy wrote back and said, "Roll tomb roll, RTR," you know. So uh, I don't know if that means anything to you, but uh, maybe that'll bring new light to some of the Tide fans, you know. Roll, tomb, roll, right? So anyway, uh, hey, turn with me to the Gospel according to John, chapter 10. So we're going to look at a passage here in John and chapter 10. You'll do well to remember that John actually limits himself on the stories he tells, just like the other Gospel writers. Obviously, they can't tell everything. And John is the one who actually says to us, if we were to write everything that Jesus did in His earthly life, it would fill up all the books in the world. Which, of course, is kind of a hyperbolic statement. You know, he's using kind of exaggeration, but he's being for real. If we, if we told everything, it would be so much you would never be able to read it all, and you probably would never even try. So what John does in his Gospel, as the other writers do, is he limits himself to certain stories. This story in chapter 10, very powerful story. The images here you'll be very familiar with, but I want to revisit them in the light of the resurrection. So read along here with me in John chapter 10, and we're going to start with with verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the Good Shepherd. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would illuminate our minds, that You would speak to our hearts, that You would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray this in Your most holy name. Jesus, Amen. Sometimes we say things that we don't really mean. You ever notice that? I mean, we've all done it before. Things like this. You meet someone new and you say, yeah, just come on over anytime. Do you really mean that? Anytime? Like, anytime's a good time for them to just drop by? I, I, I would think not. Like, you come by my house at 8 o'clock when I'm trying to get all these crazy cats in the bed. Uh, not a good time to drop by. Really isn't. Really isn't. Unless you want to help. Now, if you want to help give baths and stuff like that, hey, welcome. You know, come on over anytime. And I'm being for real. Uh, but no, we say things sometimes and we actually don't mean them. Things like, things like, how are you doing? I'm fine. You ever heard that one? I'm fine. That, that doesn't really mean they're fine. I can tell you that by experience. Got real quiet in here. You've probably heard that before, right? I'm fine, right? No, you're not fine. You're not really fine. And so there are things that we say sometimes that actually we don't mean. One time I said this. I had gotten pulled over and the, the officer gave me a ticket. And I told him, thank you. 
I was, you know, just kind of part of my makeup. And I told him, that, but I really didn't mean that because I didn't think I deserved a ticket that day. I said something to him I really didn't mean. And afterward, I thought how dumb that was. But nonetheless, I had said it. And you know what? I wonder if this morning some of us have said some things that we really don't mean. Maybe sung some things that we actually don't believe. I don't mean just believe in your head. I mean live out in your life. Does your life show that there is a risen Lord? Is there evidence in your week to week to reveal to others that you have another living within you? A risen Lord Jesus? Or would there not be the evidence there? It's, uh, it's something to truly consider. And here's what Jesus does in order to kind of stop and get people to consider. He oftentimes will say this, truly, truly, or sometimes it will be translated, verily, verily. It's really sort of a Hebraism. It's sort of one of the things in their culture they would have used to sort of stop normal conversation, stop sort of just casual conversation, and say, you know what, I'm going to say some things now that are serious and that matter, and they're not just things that I don't mean. And you know what he says here in John 10 is, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. There's really two images here in 10 that he's working with. All through John, John is just bursting with images. You remember the I am statements as is, right? There's, there's at least seven, but there's actually more than seven because he says things like, before Abraham was, I am. Which means that He's always existed. He's the eternally begotten of the Father. There never was a time in which He was begotten from the Father. It's an eternal begottenness. Just as the Spirit is an eternal procession from the Father and the Son. There never is in time a moment where He proceeds. It's always happening in a dynamic relationship. Only God can do that because He's eternal. So John's bursting with these images. And and many people, after they read John, they they find these images lingering in their head. And I hope that this image this morning that John shares with us from 10, which is, I am the door, also sticks with us. He also uses this other one of, I am the shepherd. And really, the door here is actually couched in shepherd language. If you read the rest of the chapter, it's actually all about shepherding but he's talking about a door. Now the context before that is he heals a blind man. So all of chapter 9 is about the healing of a blind man. And in chapter 11, we have Lazarus. So you have the blind coming to sight. You have the dead coming to life. And in between that are these two images that we want to focus in on this Resurrection Sunday, uh, this Easter morn, and look at a little more in depth. Have you ever thought about doors much? I mean, Jesus was a carpenter, wasn't He? Surely He would have thought about doors from time to time. I, uh, I had to do a little bit of study on doors. You know, just did a little briefing on, on doors over the... And doors is a fascinating thing. Like, have you ever noticed that in every room you go to, every house you go into, every structure when you go to work when you go to the restroom, when you go on vacation, when you go overseas, you see doors everywhere. 
doors are literally everywhere. It's, it's one of these things that, that if you don't stop and take account of it, you, you just seem to sort of assume it in your vision. You never really even see them anymore because you've seen it so many times. Kind of like your drive to work. Your drive to work, there are things there that other people would notice, but you don't even see them anymore because you're just so used to it. Doors are like that. They're so universal. And that's why Jesus uses this image of a door. Is because everywhere where we meet a door, which is everywhere, He says, I am the door. It's an image that is so simple and yet very profound. You ever notice how the best authors, they don't, they don't think up something crazy. They use basic stuff and you think to yourself, why couldn't I? I could have thought of that. Well, you didn't. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the best inventions are the simplest ones. And you think to yourself, I could have invented that. Yeah, but you didn't. I wish you would have. That'd be fantastic. You could bless others. Um, and oftentimes, Lewis is a person I quote the most because he uses such basic images that we can all grasp, that we all see from day to day, and yet he pulls them out and gives them to us anew. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing with this idea of the door. You see, if we didn't have doors, just think about this real quick. Just imagine there's all of a sudden no doors. Are you going to sleep well tonight? Because I can tell you I'm not. I'm going to stay locked and loaded all night with a flashlight. You know what I mean? This is just the way I operate. I mean, I have a bunch of people to protect in my house. And it's my job. And so I'll be up all night. I know, no joke. If we didn't have doors, I'd be up all night long. I, I wouldn't be able to sleep. I just don't trust people enough to have the doors flung wide open. I have actually left my garage door open before and, and, and another door unlocked before around back all night long. Didn't know it. Next morning I wake up and I'm terrified, you know? Uh, you've probably had that same experience. Just imagine a world without doors. There would be no protection. Not only that, you say, well, you could protect yourself because there's obviously walls, right? Yeah, well, if you didn't have doors, you couldn't get out. You literally would create yourself a prison. There would be protection, yes, but it would be, it'd be a prison. Almost like a tomb. And this is exactly where we find Jesus, isn't it? He doesn't try to protect Himself. He's the door. And He's an open door for all to come in. And some who come in are going to abuse Him and use Him. We've all done it before. Even His own disciples betray Him and leave Him. But He remains an open door to them. You know what? He offers us protection once we come in. He does not close us in. You can even read here, he says, once you come into this door, and by the way, we read earlier from the psalm reading, it said, he is the gate. Those who come in the gate, actually that term gate is the same thing as door. Door and gate, there is no difference there. So he's the gate. He's the open gate. He's the one that we enter by. And so this mentality of door, maybe you've not really thought about, but they're everywhere. And it should always remind us every time we turn the knob, every time we lock the door, of God's own protection of us, but also His openness to us. The fact that all we have to do is come to the door. For the door uh, sometimes shuts things out. And we've all had the do- had doors slammed in our face. I mean that both metaphorically and probably physically. You ever had a door closed in your face before? I have. 
it's not necessarily a fun thing, you know. It's kind of rude, you know, to do that. If I come over to visit you and you slam the door in my face, it's not, not necessarily a positive thing. I, I'm not going to get a good vibe from that, you know. Um, and, and here's what we end up seeing is that there are actually things in our life that we need to shut out. This is what the law is all about. Shutting certain things out of our... Haven't we all turned doors that we wish we could go back and close and never have entered? We've let things into our lives that we wish we could undo. We try to tell our children, don't, don't go down that door. Don't open that door. Don't go down that pathway. The door closed in the disciples' face on Holy Week. They had dreams about Jesus. They had dreams about ruling with Jesus. Reigning with Jesus. Sitting on His right hand and on His left. And those doors, that door closed on them at His death. He was truly dead. The beatings, the cross, the spear. The Romans were good at killing people. They were professionals. If they didn't kill those that were supposed to be executed, they themselves would have been executed. Which is why we know that He did not swoon. He did not just go into some kind of thing where He resuscitated three days later. No, this was a true death. The spear to the heart, in the side, confirms it. Not only this, the Jews wanted Him dead and they saw to it that He was. Uh, one, of the, one of the surest ways we know He was dead was because Pilate legally authorized a Jew to take down his body and to bury it. Uh, Pilate would have made sure that he was dead and he actually did. You remember that they don't even have to break Jesus' legs because he died before the other two were dead. Uh, and so Joseph of Arimathea, he actually comes and takes the body of Jesus and embalms him in a tomb. He was truly dead and the door closed. The disciples despaired. But early morning on this day that we celebrate, the door that was closed, it opened. The eyes that had been closed, opened. The valves in his heart that had been shut down, opened. His voice that was silenced upon death, opened. Salvation that had been nationalized in the Jews, opened. The temple that was centralized in Jerusalem, opened. The many sacrifices and procedures, all opened. The law that had tutored us opened. God's kingdom opened. Heaven itself opened. Salvation to all opened. The Spirit given to all opened. Freedom from sin opened. The gates of hell themselves opened. Hell and death opened wide. And He walked out. He walked out victorious. He walked out what we say in Latin, Christus Victor, Christ the Victor. He had, a, he had descended from the Father all the way to the pit, is what they called it. Hell itself, Hades. And now He was on a track to ascend to the Father, spelling out victory for all people. He is the victor. You see, the great reversal was underway. The great exodus was actually in full effect. 
Now we do not have to sit imprisoned in walls. Instead, the door opened. And Jesus says, I am that open door. You see, what the Scripture tells us is that after He was crucified, that the veil that had covered up the Holy of Holies for over a thousand years in the tabernacle, also in the temple, the temple of Solomon, and then also the second temple that was redone by Herod, that veil that could not have been torn by human's hand, by the way. It was, the way it was sewn, it would have been impossible even for the power team, if you remember those guys, to rip that thing open. Remember the power team? They could like rip phone books in half. I saw them. I saw them do it. Well, you couldn't have ripped this thing in half. And yet, the veil that was between us and the Holy of Holies, you realize the Holy of Holies, right? You got the holy place, then the Holy of Holies, and only one person, one time a year, was allowed to go in there. The veil split right in half when he died. Why? Because now the Holy of Holies was opened, the door was opened. And now, where he wants to dwell is not in a tent behind a curtain, but instead in your body, in your heart, in your very life. He introduced to us the new humanity. He made salvation complete when he said, It is finished. The door opened. And you know what? It's still open. It's still open. Jesus is open toward you. He's postured toward you. He is for you. And He's an open door. If we will come to Him. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've gotten yourself tangled into, no matter how deep you're drowning in your own sin, or you're so tangled up in addiction that you don't feel worthy, no matter how dead you feel, no matter how far you've drifted away, or how much you're lost today, doesn't matter. He is open to you. And He's here. He's a breath away, Paul tells the Areopagus in Acts 17. He's just a breath away. A word away. If you speak His name, He's there. You know, when our president uh, visits places, he doesn't open doors. People go before him and open the doors. This is what you do to royalty. This is what you do to someone who is important. You say, oh, let me get that door for you, right? You know what our king looks like in the Bible? He looks ridiculous to the world. He looks absolutely ridiculous. Because you know why? What Revelation paints a picture of is our king standing at the door knocking. And it's not just any door. It's the door of your heart. And he's knocking. And there's this picture, there's this famous painting of Jesus and He has a lantern and He's knocking on a door. And it doesn't have a knob on the outside because He's not going to turn it Himself and force His way upon us, into us. He's not going to get a battering ram. He's not the SWAT team. He's not doing any of that. He's instead knocking. 
at the door. And it sounds ridiculous that royalty, that someone that important, the most important person in the human race, would be continually knocking at the door. I mean, when I go to people's houses, I knock a couple. I actually have a, a I actually have a particular knock. If you if I ever come to your house, you actually have a particular knock. You can always know it's me. Here's how. Here's how I just knock. Just like that. I do a long one. You know what I'm saying? But that's all I do. I'm not really going to sit there all day long, waste my time trying to get you to come to the door. Even if I hear a TV on or I, I hear you wrestling around with kids or something like that, I'm not going to stand there all day long. I just I don't have time for that. You know what? Jesus has time for you. And even when you're not looking for Him, even when you're not concerned with Him, even when you get busy with life, busy with your little things in life, He stands there knocking and waiting, and it's almost ridiculous if we didn't know how much He loved us. It seems desperate. Other people look at that and they, they don't, they see, you know what I see? I see a humble King. One that patiently waits for us. He both is the door and He's knocking on our door. And the door is open for us to come in. And if we will open the door to our heart, He will come in, Revelation says, and commune with us and us with Him. Now the second image here that He actually deals with is shepherd. But it's not separate, I want you to know, from the first image. Here's how. It, you know, shepherding is, a, um, is something we're probably not that familiar with, right? So like most of us probably have not sat there and watched sheep roam around in a shepherd. I've actually gotten to do this in several places, one of which was uh, Northern Ireland, which is very sheep-like country. You know, everything's green and they have sheep all over the place. And, um, and so it was really neat for me to see that. Now, I'm not a sheep expert by any means, or, or a shepherd, uh, except for pastorally speaking. Uh, but, but here's what I know about sheep, and that is they, they're followers by nature. They're followers. They don't really look up from the ground. They're not, they're, you, you don't see a sheep doing this number right here. They don't, they don't get distracted by birds or something like that. They are always looking down. They don't really pay attention to where they're going, which is why there needs to be a shepherd. You know, cows, you never hear, hear like a, a cow herder. It's, I mean, you have to call cows, but they, they come. They do things. You know, they just fence them in, and they're fine. But sheep, they're not that. They're, they are followers. There needs to be a shepherd. And one of the things they used to do to keep them in was obviously to fence them in, put up walls, again, which is where doors come in, right? And literally what it means here that he says, I am the door. Notice, not just the door on a wall, but I am the door of the sheep is what he says. And literally what that would have meant to a first century Jew was that he's the one who goes to sleep as the gate. So what I mean by that, they would have put the sheep in, in these, you know, built it, they built it up with rocks and put some briars and stuff on top of it. And then they would have left a gate. And the shepherd literally would have laid across that gate and slept there so that the sheep you know, wouldn't wander off and that nobody else would come in. And, and in a real way, this is exactly what Jesus is saying by, I am the good shepherd. And here's what He tells us is, I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, robbers and others, they do other things. They want to kill, steal, and destroy. What is Jesus about? Jesus is about abundant life. Joyous life. Life, not not just making it, 
Not just trying to force our way through life, doing the best we can. That's not Christianity. Instead, it's life and life abundantly only in that door. Only through that door. Only when we come to this door, who is Jesus. Now here's the thing. We can't waver forever with this door. Here's what Genesis uh, chapter 7, 16 says. You remember Noah, right? Noah's building this ark. People are making fun of him. They've never seen rain before. And he's saying, you know, there's going to be some kind of flood. and It's going to be raining. He said, this guy's a lunatic. It, the door stayed open the entire time he built the ark. The door was wide open. Anybody could have come in. The animals do come in. And so does Noah's family. But here's what 7 and 16 says of Genesis. The Lord closed the door behind them. Can I say something real quick that I really mean? Unlike we do sometimes. Truly, truly, I say to you this, and that is you can't waver forever. You will make a decision about this door. There's no way around this door. Some doors you can avoid, ignore, whatever. But all else in life is a wall. You will go nowhere without first going through this door. And every person you've ever met, every person you ever will meet, or every person who has ever lived or ever will live, will meet this door. They will either meet it in judgment, or with these words, welcome my good and faithful servant. There is no in-between. We must enter through the door. And here's what the final judgment is talked about in Isaiah 22-22, Matthew 16-19, and Revelation 3-7. What He opens, all of those passages say, what He opens, no one can shut. And what He shuts, no one can open. What does He mean by that? He means that it's final. What you do with this door, Jesus... Is final. I mean eternal. You say, you're trying to scare me. No, no, no. I told you I'm going to say some things that, that are really mean. I'm going to make this truly, truly kind of statement and say some things that are very sobering. And that is, we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. We're actually already spending it. You're actually already making that decision this morning on what you are going to do with this door that we all face. No one is exempt. Just think of somebody in your head. They're not exempt. Everybody faces this door and everybody hears the knock of the Good Shepherd. So I'm in India uh, this past year literally surrounded by millions and millions of gods. They, ha- they have 350 million gods that have been named in India. That's just the ones that's been named. There's probably more, but just that's the ones that, that we've been able to actually calculate and name. 350 million. That's, that's as many Americans as we have. And so I'm in a store, and there's thousands of gods that are for sale. Different ones. I can recognize a couple of them, you know. And, uh, but there's one idol that I see that's standing there, and it's Jesus. And, and it's, it's Jesus in, in, in the Good Shepherd. He actually has a lamb 
and, and a staff. It's, it's Jesus. He's the, it's the statue of the Good Shepherd. And here He is among all these different gods in India. Reality is this. Jesus is unlike any of the other gods. He patiently waits for us, gets down on His knees to His disciples, and washes their feet. None of the gods would do anything like that. If you've ever read mythology before, that's ludicrous to think of. They would laugh at you if you asked them to do something like that. Wouldn't be good for you. But this God, this God is different. This God, not only is the shepherd, but He's the lamb. <laughs> you ever notice how many times He's everything? He's knocking on the door. He is the door. He says we need to be a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. We're to be priests. He is the high priest. We're to shepherd over other people. He is the good shepherd. We've all said things that we don't mean. uh, But let's not lie today. On this holy day, let's say what we mean and do what we say. Because the truth, the Scripture says, will set us free. You say, what if I don't have the truth? What if I don't know Jesus in the way that you're talking about? What if I've not let Him in? I've heard His call. Everybody has. Everybody's heard the knock. Then you must confess your sins, the Scripture says. You must repent of your sins, which means to walk away from them. Stop. Just stop doing them. You say, that's that's, that's a little easier said than done. Not with Him. You have to first stop. There's a little thing that I've always used that that is helpful to me personally, and it's this. Can you go a minute without sinning? Could you go five minutes without sinning? About 30 minutes. About 30 hours. About 30 days. About 30 years. About 30 lifetimes. What's different about that? It's our selfishness. It's us that's the problem. Haven't you noticed? It's me. It's not God. It's not somebody else. Don't blame anybody else. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin today and then believe. Believe in this One who has come. Because only in confessing and believing in your heart will you be saved. You see, He is the door that we must come to. His work is finished. We don't have to be locked in to the enemy's door any longer. You can be set free. I don't care what it is you deal with. You can be set free. Because where the Son is, where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And the only thing that limits you today from receiving that is you won't open the door. You won't come to the door. You won't answer the door. And He sits there patiently knocking, but it won't be forever. There will come a day when the knock stops. And at that point, what you've done with the door, this door, Jesus, will matter more than anything else. There's a lot of things in your life that you do that matter. I know. A lot of things I do that matter in my life. But you know what? Five seconds after you're dead, the only thing that matters is Jesus.
He stands, the risen King, knocking. Come to the door, open the door, walk in the door, and you will be saved. Amen.